<laughs> All right, so we're in our Anchor series, and um, Anchors, uh, ironically enough, were one of the earliest symbols, uh, symbols within the Christian faith of symbolizing being in Christ. And it comes from the text Hebrews 6:19. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And so what we're doing and have been doing uh, for the past few weeks is we're anchoring ourselves in the catechism. And catechism is a way of essentially uh, theological training. And so uh, some folks in the not early church, but kind of like in the 1500s, they created this set of questions and answers. And so they would put together a question and then they would have an answer. And it was a way of teaching the congregation or the church good theology. And so uh, when we think about biblical training, it goes all the way back into the early parts of Judaism and into the early church. So we see that here, one of the earliest uh, I guess theological ways of training is that Jews, even to this day, still recite what is called the Shema. And the Shema is uh, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And so what you see here is in part of that, in that paragraph, it talks about that they would bind it to their wrists and they would bind it to their forehead. And so that's what you actually see these people doing here is the Shema, that it's something that they recite on a daily basis. And so in the early church, because all the people in the early church were Jews, uh, they created their own creeds. And so the earliest creed that we have from the early church is Jesus is Lord. That's one of the first things that they would recite to one another, um, that Jesus is Lord, um, because it was extremely a powerful theological statement. And so when we think about theology, what you believe about God, ultimately your theology, is extremely powerful. If you believe that God is angry, that he's just an angry God, then you will live in fear. If you believe that God is distant and he's just out far off, you can believe that he doesn't care. But if you believe that God is present and loving, you trust that he's working inside of you. And you believe that there's purpose in your pain. Again, so the what you believe about God is extremely important. If he's angry, then you live in fear. But if you believe that he's loving and kind and merciful, then you feel free to be able to live before him and to be able to make mistakes, which we all do. So catechism is a way of theological training, and in my opinion, it points to two main ideas. Why is Jesus worthy of being Lord, and is Jesus Lord of your life? Because the early creed, in my mind, still holds weight in that can we say today that Jesus is Lord? Is Jesus Lord of my life? So... There's several different catechisms. I've chosen to go through the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, I think it's especially the first one has always held my attention. It was created by the Church of Scotland, England, and Ireland in 1648, and it has 107 questions and answers. So I'm just going to go through. We've gone through three of them, and we're going to go through the fourth today. So the first one that we went through, the number one question is, what is the chief end of man? And then they said, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this is in part why I picked the Westminster Catechism, because this to me is one of the most beautiful theological statements to have ever been written down. That uh, our chief end is to uh, to enjoy God. 
Then I went through question 18. Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein two men fell? The sinfulness of that estate wherein two men fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness and the corruption of the, his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Don't worry, I'm not going to be using any more of this language outside of these questions. But, you know, in, in essence, uh, what happened to mankind is the question. And then Todd went through, where did Christ's humiliation, uh, where did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the cursed death of the cross, and being buried, and continuing under the power of death for a time. And then today, how doth the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. Uh, some of the language obviously is a little bit difficult, but the idea is how does the Holy Spirit apply the redemption purchased by Christ in us? So what is the Holy Spirit's job? And so in terms of like theology, for those of you who like to geek out on theology stuff, it would be considered pneumatology. That's what we call the theology of the Holy Spirit. And so today I'm not going to be going into some like deep, exhaustive idea of what, you know, the Holy, who the Holy Spirit is, but at least addressing it. So who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, what is our relationship with him like? And what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Um, so the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so oftentimes when we think third person, it's easy for us to just stories of like, well, third place, uh, right? There's first place, there's second place, and there's third place. But that's not the case. The Holy Spirit is not the, the third place person of the Godhead. When we speak of the third person uh, of the Godhead is that there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit, and they're all equal. Not one of them is above another. Uh, for some reason, God has decided to be three, and so it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> for most of us, we understand the Father because everyone in the room has a Father, and we we also we can understand even if we don't have like good fathers, we can think of what a good father ought to be. And so the Father is pretty simple for us to understand. The Son is also is somewhat easier for us to understand, and that we all understand what a, a Son is. But the Holy Spirit can be odd for some people, um, and understandably so. So when we read through the Bible, the Holy Spirit is depicted in several different ways, but here are three main ones. The first one is he's depicted as a dove. And so you'll see in certain illustrations of the Holy Spirit, you'll see that here's the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, um, and that the Holy Spirit is uh, a dove. When Jesus is baptized, he comes down, the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove. He's also represented as fire. There are different uh, texts uh, that depict him as being this fire. That's how he's described. There was fire in the room or something was lit on fire. And so that's how the, how the Holy Spirit is depicted. Or it can also be depicted as uh, wind. Um, that there's a wind that happens and that the Holy Spirit is depicted as wind. So again, this idea of like, we get the Father, we get the Son, those are all pretty straightforward, but then we're talking about a dove, fire, wind, spirit, okay? 
Um, so when we see him present in Scripture in several different places, first off is in the creation of the earth, that the Spirit of God hovered along the waters, and so it was the Holy Spirit that was the one that was hovering and creating the earth and the place in which we now uh, dwell. We also see the Holy Spirit present in uh, Moses and the burning bush, and that when he was walking around that he heard the voice of God and it was calling from the bush. Again, so we see this idea of fire, that the fire is burning the bush and the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to him in that moment. In the Old Testament, we also see that when David, he fights Goliath, that the Holy Spirit is inside of him. And so in the Old Testament, we see that, that certain people embodied the Holy Spirit, not that everyone embodied the Holy Spirit, but that certain people um, embodied the Holy Spirit. And so David was overcome by the Spirit of God, and then he was able to go out and he was able to fight uh, Goliath. And then as we get into the New Testament, again, we see the baptism of Jesus, where he comes and he's baptized by John the Baptist, and we see this dove coming down, and it's represented of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes, and it dwells inside of Jesus. Uh, 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 he's inside of Jesus in that moment. And then last, uh, we see at Pentecost, uh, when uh, the Holy Spirit comes on not just individuals, because in the Old Testament we would see that, that the Holy Spirit would come and just be reside in certain people. But now it's opened up to everyone that they went into the upper room and they were praying. And then as they were praying, the earth shook, and then it seemed like tongues of fire were again were on top of their heads and that the everyday believer was then filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament and the New but then for us as believers, uh, believers, how does the Holy Spirit work inside of me as an individual here and now? What is this Holy Spirit's role in me? How is he helping me? How, what, what does he do? And so the Westminster Catechism gives us two answers. The Holy Spirit gives us faith. And the Holy Spirit moves us into our, into our calling. So I think Paul puts it very well uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 in that <clears throat> he says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. Uh, all, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised uh, us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, for it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he says, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what we see is 
that God in Christ gives us grace, meaning unmerited favor. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He just loves you. That's grace. I'm accepted by him regardless of what I've done, regardless of what I will do. There's, I, can't, I can't make him any happier or any more frustrated. I mean, he just loves me because I am his child, and he gives me that grace because of Christ. So we yield our hearts to the creator God in Christ and take his death as our own, and we get his life in return. We have faith in him, and the Holy Spirit is then deposited into our souls. And so what we see is the creator God in the Father creates us, the creator God in Christ saves us, and the creator God in the Spirit resides within us. And in that, we are born again, sanctified, reborn, and renewed. And so what we see is the Holy Spirit, God creates us, Jesus comes and he saves us, and then the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes and resides in us and then takes us into those deeper places that God wants to take us. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, Both of my parents were basically like hippies, uh, down in LA, and so it was always just kind of just wild living, and I didn't really even like, I, you know, Christianity to me, it, it just didn't come up in the house. And then later on in life, um, I don't, I don't know necessarily. I guess I was always just curious about faith. I was always curious about like um, spirituality, uh, ghosts, all of these things. And at some point in time, I ended up giving my life to Christ. I was over here at Tiger Field, and. Uh, my friend and I were living, sharing literally a laundry room. We were paying, I think, $60 a month uh, combined. So each of us had to come up with 30 bucks to pay for the room, which seemed like a lot to me at that point in time because I was just trying to go to the lake and was partying and drinking and, you know, girls, all this stuff. And so I give my life to Christ. And so over time, the Holy Spirit starts to do this really like deep work in me. And when I gave my life to Christ in that moment, I remember it was like this tangible feeling that I felt, that I knew that I was born again. And I, and I know that some people wrestle with maybe not having that experience, but I know that I, I was born again. I knew in that moment. Um, it was so tangible to me, even though I didn't know what it meant because I had read John 3.16 and it said you had to be born again. I'm like, all right, I want to be born again. So then my roommates come home, and I break out some of the weed that we had, and I'm like, hey, man, we're all getting high. Not, not like we weren't getting high that night anyways. We are like, hey, we're getting high tonight because I'm born again. And they were like, what is wrong with this guy? But it was so tangible within me. It was so real. Um, something had, it had really happened. And so later on, um, as I was, you know, started going to church, because I'm like, well, I guess Christians go to church. And so I went to church. And there was this one time where I was worshiping God. And I was just singing songs and, you know, singing the songs that we sing. And, and, and um, man, the Holy Spirit touched me in such a powerful way. When I was five years old, um, <clears throat> my father passed away suddenly. And um, I, as a five-year-old, I had no idea what that meant. I walked out of my room. My grandparents were there. My aunts and uncles were there. And I was so confused because um, it wasn't the holidays. And, and I was wondering, well, why is, why is all my family here? And I had realized... Um, I had just walked through the hallway where my father the night before had uh, died. And they told me, I had no idea what death was. I had never encountered death. I didn't know any, anyone who had died. And the first person that I knew that died happened to be my father. 
So my mom um, decided, hey, I'm going to have a funeral. And so I remember being in my um, driveway. And it was a sunny day. And I was in the driveway. And I remember my mom showing up with my family members in this white van. And the door opened. And they say, hey, hop in. We're going to go to the funeral. And I said, no, thanks. I don't want to go. And it's five. <clears throat> and in that moment, there was a feeling that came over me to where I decided that not only was my dad dead, but my dad was going to be dead to me. I wasn't going to think about him. I wasn't going, I, I just wasn't going to think about him. And this, you know, I, this warm feeling came over me of like, he's dead to me. So fast forward in me giving my life to Christ, and now the Holy Spirit is inside of me, you know. I um, was fighting fire with the Forest Service, um, tough guy, you know, all this stuff. I hadn't cried about my dad's death. Well, I think I was probably about 23. I never cried about my dad's death, not once, ever. I would tell people my, my father had died, and they'd tell me they felt so sorry for me, and I'd say, don't, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. I didn't, I'd never cried about my father's death. I was at this worship service, and we're, you know, again, a church meeting, and we were singing. And um, there's something that happened. I can still picture it to this day that I, I, like, in my mind, I just felt the Holy Spirit. Um, there was just this feeling that came over me, and I just, I don't know if I saw my dad, but it was just right in the middle of my imagination as I would shut my eyes. And it said, will you forgive your father? And I mean, I broke down and just started bawling. And I, I mean, I'm in front of all these people. I'm 23 years old. I already feel kind of lame because I'm, hang, I'm a Christian and I'm hanging out with Christians and I'm here and I'm like, oh, this is so weird. And then the Holy Spirit just speaks to me in this powerful way and I just start breaking down and crying for an hour in front of all these people. Uncontrollably uncontrollably, but I had so much grief and hurt and pain that I had stuffed down in there, right? That God, the Father, he creates me. Jesus, he forgives me and gives me grace. And then the Holy Spirit starts to do this like deep inner work in my life, knowing that the death of my father and the way that I had pushed him out of my life was just something that was just detrimental to my life. Powerful. It's crazy. It was, just, it was a wild moment. It was really good, though, for me. Um, so it's obviously no small thing that the Spirit of God resides within us. I mean, that's what happens. We give our life to Christ, and the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And I think for some of us, one, it can just kind of be weird, like he does. I mean, what does this mean? But, you know, we have to remember that in Judaism, um, when we talk about the Holy Spirit residing in us, it was a really, really big deal for them to actually come to the conclusion that that's what was happening. In Judaism, the holiest place on earth was the temple. It's what it was. The temple was the holiest place. This is where the Spirit of God resided. No one was allowed in there except for like one, one priest was allowed to go in there. And so this is the Holy of Holies. That's where the presence of God actually resided. And so when we think about what happens when Jesus dies on the cross, it's this huge, it's a huge moment. And there's so much that happens there. And I think that in many ways we might just take for granted, but there's so much that happens in Christ's death. So much. 
And one of those things that happens, so Jesus is on the cross, and when he dies, it's a small little detail that we kind of just might just gloss over. But what ends up happening, again, that the, the Holy of Holies, the Spirit of God dwells within the temple, which was an actual place. Jesus dies on the cross, and then what happens? Well, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and all those other things, where God's presence literally dwelt, that temple, or that curtain was torn, meaning that the separation between the Holy of Holies and essentially mankind was now torn and that the Holy Spirit was essentially um, open. What once separated no longer separated us. And so if, if God's spirit doesn't dwell within the temple, where does it dwell? And so this idea within the New Testament that it dwells within us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So in the New Testament, when Jesus dies, the curtain is torn and so now God has a new temple, which is you. That the Holy Spirit resides in you. Grace has given me faith. My faith is stirred and sustained by God within me, and you are the temple of the living God. So, again, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? He gives us space, uh, faith, but he also calls us into our calling. So when we think about this idea of us being the temple, and we see that Pentecost happens, which is when the Holy Spirit is given to all the believers, what ends up happening is that they're filled and that Pentecost has a purpose. And ultimately, this, he's not just giving these people like the Holy Spirit because he wants them to feel good. Like, hey, I just want you to feel good. But there's a purpose behind Pentecost. And the purpose behind Pentecost is the same purpose that God has been having since Genesis chapter 1 when Adam and Eve, they go and they sin and they cover up their nakedness and they want to hide like many of us do. And that God says, where are you? And in that moment, God turns into, you know, the God who is on a mission and he's trying to reconcile mankind to himself. He comes after us. So God gives his Holy Spirit to continue on that mission, which is what? To reveal God's grace through Christ to all mankind. So the gift is for me, for sure, in that he helps me, you know, with the death of my father and he heals me. But it isn't just for me and it's not just for you. This gift is for all mankind, for those who do not yet know. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which we read earlier, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we are now, filled with the Holy Spirit, ambassadors for God. I would not recommend putting like Christian bumper stickers on the back of your car, though. <laughs> I always wonder about that. I'm like, I don't want to be that accountable in my car. We are ambassadors. <laughs> That's what we are. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're ambassadors of the living God who continues to cry out to his creation. Where are you? Be reconciled to me. 
So when we think about what the Holy Spirit does for us, he empowers us for this mission because Paul also says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against dark spiritual powers. And so the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts to accomplish these to accomplish this work, which is what we call the, the sign gifts, things that he gives us these abilities to be able to do the stuff, to be able to go out there and share the gospel, to be able to be the gospel. And so when we, when we see this in the New Testament, and I, I, don't, I was thinking about this, I don't think the folks in the Westminster Catechism, I don't think that they are charismatic, it's just my assumption, uh, but we are. Um, and so these, these gifts, what does he give us? So the, the sign of prophecy, right? Something that we can go to next Saturday and you can learn how to do this. And um, we're, we're going to do something here in a little bit. Um, but prophecy, the idea that you're actually sh- revealing a spe- special message from, from yourself. God speaks to you and then you share that with someone else and it's meaningful to them what we would call like reading someone's mail. And so a, a story of this is uh, Todd Magerly, who was here. I, I think this is a great example of this, is that Todd Magerly uh, grew up in church, walked away from the church for the most part because he was just over it. He was done with it. He's like, I'm, I'm done with all, all of this. And so he was walking around one time, and he was on the road. And this woman literally jumps out of her car. He's walking, and she pulls over and jumps out of the car, and he's kind of startled. He's like, what is this woman doing? And she runs over to him, and she says, hey, I feel like God has a word for you specifically. Um, And I forget necessarily what the word was, something along the lines like, uh, he sees you, and he's got a call for you, or something like that, to where it was so specific to him. He was like, how? Like, how? How do you know that? But this woman had acted on a prophetic word that God had given her um, about Todd. And so she ran out there and she shared that word with Todd. And now Todd, and then he, you know, got back into church. He's now at seminary. He's going to become a pastor at this church when he graduates. So just that one moment of that woman getting out of the car and sharing the word that she felt like God had given her to him changed the trajectory of his life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what a a word of prophecy um, can can do. Um, How many of you in the room have gotten some type of significant prophetic word in your life? To where it's like, wow, how meaningful. Changed me. That couldn't have been made up. That was weird. It was like weird good. Like, whoa. Can't make that up. How'd you know that? Healing, right? We still have the ability to pray for people to be healed, praying for someone and seeing them get healed. We, my wife and I went to, um, what was that thing we went to? Yeah, the Rainbow Gathering. Because uh, deep down, it's, we're actually really hippies. Um, and so we went to this Rainbow Gathering, and we're there we're working with this group called the uh, Jesus Kitchen. And so we would cook for all these people, and um, you know, because it's not a Christian festival. And we would, you know, pray for people and all that stuff. And so this guy came up to us, 
And um, we were just talking, and he said, man, my ear is so messed up. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with my ear. And I said, hey, can we pray for your ear right now? And he says, yeah, go ahead and pray for my ear. So I pray for his ear. You know, I don't say anything like, Jesus, come, heal this guy's ear. I mean, there's no formula around it. And so, I mean, to be honest, hey, I want me to be honest. I'm like, all right, I'm going to pray for you. More than likely, nothing's going to happen. God, like, what's up? So I pray for him, and he's like, what? What the F did you do to my ear? And I'm like, I didn't do it. What's going on with your ear? And he said, I can hear. Like, something popped inside my ear, and now I can hear. And I'm like, I was like, this is awesome. So in my mind, I'm like, this is awesome. This guy, just like in the New Testament, he's going to be so pumped about his healing, he's going to run off and tell everyone about Jesus, and there's just going to be this revival here, and all these people are going to give their life to Christ. And he just took off, and I saw him later on, <laughs> later on in the festival. He's just smoking, walking around. I'm like, man, what's up? You know, <laughs> I wanted to see, like, it all happened. But anyways, that guy's ear uh, got healed. How many people in the room have been emotionally or physically healed by someone praying for them? You also have the ability to pray in tongues. Um, praying in tongues is basically a special language that God gives to some people. And um, I theologically don't believe that everyone has that, but some of us have that. I pray in tongues. I have the, I have the ability to pray, pray in tongues. Um, and that's just a prayer language that you give that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And somehow the way that I would describe praying in tongues is that you're able to just connect to God in this like prayer language that's so sweet and beautiful um, but without thinking per se, it's just something that happens so naturally. Um, and so uh, another gift of the Spirit, leadership, administration, hospitality, mercy, justice, all of these things are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there was one time we were coming back from a conference, and um, it was late at night. I was a pastor of a church down in San Luis Obispo, and we were coming back. It was late at night. We were all singing worship music. And I had said, uh, just somehow, I just really felt like the Holy Spirit had asked me to actually just stand up and ask everyone on the bus, like, who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And so we were in this bus, and I just turned around, and I said, who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And so all these people raised their hand, like, I want to be, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so then I said, cool, like, let's just gather around these people, and we're going to pray for them. <coughs> pray for them. And some people started praying in tongues. Some people started like prophesying in that moment. And then we also had people who were telling us, this shouldn't be like this. If you're praying in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation. So it was all kind of like biblical. There are the believers. There were the non-believers. There are people who were like, this shouldn't be like this. And there were other people that were all into it. And so again, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is God's spirit. He, he calls us on mission. He, he has a calling for your life. And he empowers you to be able to do these things. Because the reality is, guys, we need all the help we can get. If we're being honest. Who doesn't want help to be able to fulfill the calling of God in your life? It's not easy stuff. When you look at the New Testament and you look at Paul and you're like, that guy had it figured out. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. Friends abandoned him. You know, he was like, he had a hard life. I mean, do we honestly believe that it's going to be much different for us? We need all the help that we can get. Being called into a relationship with Christ is the single most beautiful thing that can happen. It is also extremely difficult. 
So the gifts of the Holy Spirit are there to encourage us and to help us. And I would encourage you to honestly take advantage of them as best that you can. So this is what we're going to do. Just with the, We're going to make it super fast because I genuinely don't believe that we, it needs to be all drawn out or hyped out in any way, shape, or form. Here's the deal. If you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even if you've been filled before and you're like, yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been a part of that or whatever, what we're going to do is I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. We're going to get weird. Not sure why we can't get weird in church. Um, and just you raise your hand, and then people will surround you, and we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to fill you up, and whether or not you fill anything in this moment doesn't matter, and that God uh, will release through your brothers and sisters uh, just an impartation of the Holy Spirit. So who would like to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit this morning? One hand, two hands, three hands. Anyone else? Four, five. Anyone else? I see a hand. Look at the little kids in the foyer, foyer uh, raising their hand. Uh, anyone else? No shame in the game. All right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, everyone who had raised their hand, raise their hand. Okay? Anyone else before I have everyone just go and start praying for people? Hey, if I cried for an hour in front of a bunch of people, you can raise your hand. Anyone else? Okay, right there. So this is what we're going to do. If you're willing, stand up. Keep your hands raised if you want prayer. And then get people, anyone, just go up and start praying for people. Any, if you would like to go and pray for people, go and do it. If you are someone who believes in Christ, then you have the ability to pray for people.